You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 47, covering Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, with special guest Mark Bosco. Hello, kids. We are back with the very best Star Trek ever, 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 ever. Not to oversell it or anything, but... Uh, it so is. Yeah, so Bob, you have uh, you've joined us and you have been asked to bring it, so I do hope that you brought it. Yes. It yes, needed I, to be brought. I, I've, uh, I've brought as much as I could possibly carry. Very well. We um, I really, I mean, everyone says this is the best Star Trek movie, and it's sort of given, you know, taken as read. But to really sit and watch it twice in a week like we all have is just, you, you're really reminded of why. There's very little yeah. to dislike in this movie. Just It's just amazing. It's very hard to make jokes. It, it was. I mean, we, we found it, but uh, we had to make things up like Scotty is Mexican. <laughs> I'm giving it all I've got. Yeah. <laughs> she cannot take a much more of these. <laughs> oh no, my nephew Pepe Preston. <laughs> uh, but but we're not here to review the movie that we pretended we saw. We're actually here to review the Wrath of Khan. So uh, the movie we actually saw. Yeah, uh, Matt. Why don't you start with your summary? This movie, this beautiful, perfect fucking movie, contains. Contains everything I love about Star Trek. Spock's in charge of the Enterprise and Kirk's return for a last inspection before he trundles off to slowly die behind a desk at Starfleet Command. Meanwhile, and elsewhere, the USS Reliant, featuring Commander Chekhov in the highest rank he will ever receive, is investigating SETI Alpha 6 as a possible site for the testing of the Genesis device, an experimental procedure to be used for, an in- for instantly terraforming dead planets and moons. Unfortunately, all Chekhov finds is Khan, the villain from the classic series Ep Space Seed. Khan, who remembers Chekhov well from all the time they spent together on the Enterprise, captures the the hoistable little Russian and his ship. (laughs) He then heads off to steal the Genesis device from its creator, creator, Dr. Leo Marvin, I mean Dr. Carol Marcus, one of the many ladies Kirk threw a bone to back in the day. Marcus, getting an early call from a mind-controlled Chekhov, alerts Kirk, and he heads off to save the day. He arrives, finds Marcus's space station full of nothing but corpses and Chekhov and his captain. They, along with Bones and the new lady Spock, Savick, beam down to the planet below where the Genesis device is being tested. Kirk calls, boasting, or excuse me, Khan calls, boasting to Kirk and leaving him to die on the planet, but Kirk is like 15 steps ahead and returns to the Enterprise. What follows is one of the finest, tensest space battles in Star Trek history, and it eventually ends in Spock's heroic sacrifice to save the Enterprise and her crew in one of the most moving scenes ever. And if you'll excuse me, I, I think I have something in my eye. I think we all have something in our eyes. Uh, as I commented on, on Twitter, uh, we were going to watch this movie together, and I just saw it as three grown men pretending they're not crying to one another. Uh, Bob, apparently you saw a bit of a different movie, even though we were mm-hmm. all watching the same thing. Why don't, why don't you tell us uh, about the Wrath of Khan that you saw? Well, when the, when the movie opens, uh, it seems to go on for quite a while with nothing much of interest until we finally find our hero and his band of merry men on City Alpha 5 uh, when he comes home to find some Starfleet assholes have been poking around his house. One he doesn't recognize, but the other was an ensign back on the Enterprise who made him wait a really long time to use the bathroom. What a dick. Why did they come? To steal his precious Melville and Shakespeare? Precious... Obviously, they aren't going to tell him what they're really there for. Just stumbled across him on some scientific mission? <laughs> yeah, right. So he's forced to use the SETI eel truth serum he discovered. Unfortunate, but then again, it's always good to hear Chekhov scream. <laughs> Soon after growing fatigued of Chekhov's incessant screaming, he pries them out of them the whereabouts of Admiral James Kirk, that asshole who stranded him on SETI Alpha 5 those 15 years ago, knowing full well that SETI Alpha 6 was about to explode for some damn reason, killing most of his crew and also his wife, the ex-Starfleet Lieutenant MacGyver. Khan and his remaining band of hippies take over their liant. After all that Starfleet has done to him, they owe him a spaceship, damn it, and make a prank call to Kirk's old flame, baiting Kirk to come to her little space station, and, well, while Kirk's on his way, maybe we'll jog over there and murder a few folks just to keep it interesting. Khan then catches up with the Enterprise, puts a few holes in her, and finally gets to talk with Kirk and vent a bit about the last 15 years. Finally, he's going to get to make Kirk pay for making his life a living hell. But no, 
Kirk plays dirty and makes the Reliant drop her shields and disables her engines and gives Khan a really nasty cut on his left peck. Damn it. Soon enough, Khan's band of genius supermen gets impulse power back up and running, and they head back to surprise Kirk at the space station. Those Starfleet jerks didn't follow through on Khan's orders to kill Kirk, but no matter, now he has Genesis. That'll show Kirk who's boss. Kirk manages to escape being stranded, so Khan is forced to chase the Enterprise into some messy nebula to make sure Kirk gets the punishment he deserves. How dare Kirk laugh at his superior intellect? Only that bastard Kirk plays dirty pool again, sneaking up on the Reliant like the coward that he is, and blasting the Reliant all to hell. Only one thing can make things right, if Khan can set off the Genesis device and blow himself and, and Kirk to kingdom come. It's okay to be a martyr, so long as that evil Kirk pays with his life. Well, and of course, that's the reason you were a little misty-eyed at the end there, is that that's uh, right. Khan didn't make it. That's right. So, poor Khan. Obviously. <laughs> it was very sad. I'm trying to, I can't off the top of my head think of a, a better word for wrath to uh, imply that you're uh, sympathetic with Khan, but, uh, but yeah, okay, uh, so here's here's what I saw, uh, I don't really get why everyone says this is the best Trek film, I mean, when we meet the titular Khan, still marooned on SETI Alpha 5 since the events of Space Seed, he says that he recognizes Chekhov, but Chekhov wasn't even on the Enterprise yet in Space Seed, that ruins the entire movie for me. Seriously, forget the fact that we're dealing with complex themes like Kirk facing his own mortality. Never mind that they squeezed even more impressive visuals out of literally a quarter of the budget that the motion picture had, and disregard the countless subtly brilliant moments that really helped create the Star Trek that we know and love today. If they can't be bothered to pay attention to canon, I'm boycotting this movie. I'm boycotting hot young Kirstie Alley as a Vulcan. I'm boycotting the first on-screen appearances of Romulan Ale, a cool starship design that's different from the Enterprise, and the classy red Starfleet uniforms. And I'm boycotting one of the most amazing space battles to be ever be committed to film. Somebody has to look out for the things that really matter, and those things aren't character development, timeless and relatable themes, or cool science fiction concepts. What matters are the most nitpicky of minute details, and that's why The Wrath of Khan is a terrible movie. Hear, hear. Strong words. Somebody has to speak up for the nerds, damn it. And Man, that apparently was me. Manly words, womanly deeds. <laughs> Fatty mashy parole <laughs> feminine. <laughs> Five people will get that joke. <laughs> that's the uh, Maryland state motto, Matt, in case you were wondering. Uh, that's fine. All right. So, yeah. Um, posturing aside, god damn. Yeah. Oh, my God. Jesus. I mean, again, everyone says that it's great, and you just kind of take it as red, but when you watch it, there's just so many moments, and you're like, okay, well, it must be this scene. And then the next one, oh, well, this is good, too. And before you know it, the entire thing's over, and there wasn't a bad moment there. It just, the pace and the, the plotting and the, the character, even the acting. Like, they got mm -hmm. good performances out of guys who were typically known for mm -hmm. being a bit over the top. It's just yeah. yeah, two of the hammiest actors ever, and they both deliver just amazing performances. Yep. And was it was it like multiple takes? They just like <laughs> made well, that, made uh, yeah. Kirk do. No, I'm sorry, Kirk Shatner yeah, they, do they, like thirty <laughs> takes just to wear him out. Yeah, that's supposedly yeah, they, that's they what they wore Shatner. Down. That's what Nick Meyer's approach was. It's just like <laughs> deliberately get all that over the top stuff out of there. And uh, uh, last week, Jason Ellis was telling us. I don't know if this part ended up on the show or if we were talking sort of before the show, but that uh, mm -hmm. Shatner has a very weird approach to acting, which is on his script, he notes the one emotion that he's supposed to be portraying in every scene, and he doesn't really know how to transition between them. So that's why he's so abrupt. It's like, huh. here I'm sad, here I'm happy, and he'll just jump from one to the other. <laughs> <laughs> and so kind of easing that transition maybe makes him, you know, seem a little better. I had never heard that. That's pretty funny. Yeah, it's it's great. It makes Ed actually answers a lot of questions. It really does because you see you see the glimmer of a good performer in there, and I think a lot of it too is because he did a lot of stage stuff, and he comes off as a very sort of hammy theater actor playing to the to the back seats and you know that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But on screen, you know, you don't you don't need to project so much. Romulan. <laughs> now there's so many great lines, and there's so many like for all of us to pick a quote was nigh impossible. I mean, I was I was watching this yesterday on my first run through, and I kept sending you texts that are like I can't pick a fucking quote in this. There's two. There's a good quote every three minutes. Yep. Yeah, great and, script. And it, and it's one. It's a tight script too. Like nothing is off theme. Nothing doesn't move the plot along. Like it's one of those where they didn't just throw a bunch of stuff in because it looked cool. There were there were reasons mm -hmm. for everything. And there's a lot going on, and it never 
it, it all works. Like, you know, yeah. you introduce a bunch of new characters. You, of course, you got Khan and his crew. You get uh, uh, the captain of the Reliant. Then you got Carol Marcus and, and Kirk's son and, like, all the uh, uh, Savick. And it doesn't overshadow all the other stuff. I mean, no. somehow yeah. it doesn't feel like a mess. It feels good. And I say this because in the motion picture, they added two people to the ensemble and it felt like too much. Yep. But somehow they made it all work here. So, I don't know. This in, in every respect, they just totally improved on what the motion picture was trying to do. Yep. They even repurposed that footage of them approaching the Enterprise, and it's over in, what, 30 seconds, if that? Yep. Like, they literally do the same. Well, coming up to the Enterprise. Oh. Wow, that only took a minute. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> that was fast. I just started my book. <laughs> and Kirk's got his old lady glasses and a paper book, which is a nice, you know... Subtle nod to him turning old, and the it's I'm so old. It's it's out of place because everyone's you know in the future using the shiny touch panels and all, and the, mm-hmm. he's reading a book. And I, I love uh, we get we get a really great shot of his apartment in this. Yeah, and and as you were With saying his... that it, it looks a lot more him. Yeah, we like his apartment fills in more details about his character than his weird little office on the ship ever did mm. with its one alien fertility statue or whatever the fuck that was supposed <laughs> well, to be. Well, in fairness, this was, you know, they had a little more budget here. I mean, true. Right. But it also seems to speak to that, that he has a lot of time on his hands now that he's just retired and teaching and, you know, he's got nothing better to do than to collect all these little, you know, military knickknacks and whatnot. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of nautical stuff, a lot of Navy stuff. And I think that was yeah. the, the vibe that they were going for here was transposing submarine stuff and, you know, sea adventures to, to space. And yes. some of that is very overt in, like you say, Kirk's, you know, uh, uh, apartment having, you know, captain's wheels and, and ship models. But a lot of it's subtle, yeah. too, the lighting on the ship and, the, you know, the uniforms are definitely a little more regal nautical. or, yeah. Like, I really like it. I I feel like something happened between the motion picture and Rathacon. Like, I'm not sure how long it's supposed to yeah, be. Yeah, they fired Roddenberry, or didn't fire him, but they kicked him upstairs. Well, no, it's not. I mean, like, like in like in the... Oh, uh, in the actual story. In the actual story. Like... He says like, that Like, motion picture ends on... I, like, it ends on this, this high note where he's got his ship back and everything, and it's just like, and the adventures continue. We get back to Rathacon, and he's just broken. Yeah. Well, he says in the in the movie, Kirk says that it's like, I haven't seen this man in 15 years and he's out to kill me. So if that's yeah, going to be true, then, then that'll be, you know, at least 10 years from the end of the series, right? I guess that's true, yeah. Yeah, because that happened in like year year one. No, yeah, year one. It was season one. Um, yeah. I was actually surprised that they had such a good episode early on. Um, so yeah, if you assume four more years for the, for the, for the five-year mission... And then a couple of years, so that, yeah, so, yeah, it's been it's a while. It's been, like, five years since motion picture, though. Right. Yeah, and as you said, something something happened where they just, okay, go back to your desk job. Like, mm. you don't get to be a captain after all. You're, you're getting older. Fucking grow up. No, and it's nice because you get this scene at the beginning where Bones is, is has a great conversation with Kirk about, you know, get your command back. And then he has almost the same conversation with Spock from a different yep. angle, which is, like, Bones is speaking more to the emotional need. Like, you, you're not happy unless you're commanding and spock is speaking more logically and he's like starfleet needs you you're great mm-hmm. that's an, that's an objective fact that's not my opinion and it's just great to hear that from both sides and to have those guys doing what they do best which is to be sort of the 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 angel and the devil on his shoulder and in this case they're telling him to do the same thing but yes but, but i mean for completely different reasons yeah. but that's what i mean this movie gets the characters better than any previous take on them i think mm-hmm. yeah it gets what those guys' supporting roles are for Kirk. It gets that Kirk is a big cheater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no one's ever put that point on it before, that he cheated at the Kobayashi Maru, but it is so... Like, that fits perfectly everything we've seen to this point. Yep. Of course he changed the test, because he, he's a cheater. Yeah, he doesn't like to lose. Yeah. And it, it's a great sort of Gordian knot, you know, like, lateral thinking kind of thing, but it's still... Uh-huh. He's still just cheating. Yes. But uh, I like that. I like that they, they took so many of the sort of disparate threads through this series, you know, through the history of the series and the first movie, and kind of brought it all here to the understanding that we have of these characters now. It really brought everything into focus yeah. a lot better. Yeah. And I'm really impressed by... It's Nick Meyer, right? I believe so. Nick, Nick Meyer directed... Nicholas Meyer. Did, did he direct it or write it? I always confuse the writer and the director. Uh, don't, both on this one. Oh, I think he well. co- co-wrote it, um, but he, like, he did well, most I mean, of the story points. 
Ah. Yeah, he did it. He like tied up like this was another one where there were a bunch of scripts, and he all, he sort of tied all of them together. Right. And like, there's a big thing about how he was completely uncredited and unpaid for doing the script or whatever. Well, I mean, and, and it's I don't know, you know, it sounds noble. I don't know if he did that on yeah. purpose or if he just got uh, screwed out of it. But uh, well, that's certainly an option. Although the, no, but, the fact that he came back for Star Trek Six would tell me that they probably didn't screw him that bad because he was willing to come yeah. back. But um. It, he, in interviews, he said that, like, he never watched Star Trek before this. Mm-hmm. And then, like, when he got the job, he watched through, the enti- like, the entire series. And he really gets the best of Star Trek for someone who's, you know, coming into it so fresh. Yeah, exactly. And, and like I was saying before, I think so, you hear that sometimes, like, different takes. Like, Brennan Braga notoriously didn't like the original series. And he said, mm-hmm. oh, well, I, didn't, I don't really watch that. I don't really care for that. And it's like, Yeah, well, Brennan Braga can notoriously suck my dick. <laughs> Wow. We'll we'll get to that later. <laughs> I'm just saying there have been guys in charge of of new Star Trek things that have said, no, nah, I'm not really into the original series. To hear that, it's like, oh, God, the next thing that's going to come out of their mouth is we're doing something different. But to hear that this guy never saw Star Trek and saw fit to correct that and said, no, I need yeah. to do my homework. Yeah. I'm making a movie about this. I need to know what it is. Yep. I need I need to know what Chekhov's good at. <laughs> Screaming. <laughs> okay, write that down. Everybody else in the crew. What a what a good at? Nothing. Answering the phone. That. Okay. <laughs> need to give Sulu something to do. Well, he could just sit there and steer. I guess that's what he's good for. I'm having fun up here. We. If anyone's Finally. interested. Left, right. <laughs> <laughs> now I just. I don't know. You, you, like I said, you got so much good stuff. You got uh, you got the idea. There's a lot of consequences of Kirk's actions. Like he was so reckless in his youth, and he, yep. he left so many people to die. I was saying, if it hadn't been Khan, if they couldn't get Ricardo Montalban, I bet they could very easily have told almost the exact same story with a handful of other guys that Kirk left behind on planets to die. Yep. <laughs> There's really not much difference between Khan and you know. Uh, well, Gary Mitchell already did die, but I. I, I uh, there are definitely other examples that are eluding me at the moment, but mm. we pointed them out as we went through the series. This happened a lot. Just go back and look at yeah. them. Yeah. And uh, but that, and then the fact that he has a son now because, yeah, of mm. course, he does because he went around screwing everyone back in the day. Yeah, at least one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, this is with twenty third century birth control. Like, <laughs> it's hard to accidentally have a kid. Well. Presumably, he's he's allergic to uh, to condomox <laughs> No, I don't know. I mean, I just I like that that that's one of the sort of underlying themes is Kirk is getting older, and a lot of the crap that he did when he was a kid doesn't really work anymore, and and a lot of it's coming back to bite him now. Mm-hmm. I think that really works mm-hmm. for me. I also like Carol Marcus quite a lot. She really stands out as not one of his sort of shrinking violet bimbos, like. You know, oh, Captain. Someone who could actually, like, stand up and be a match for him. Yeah, exactly. You you totally get that, you know, why he was into her and why she didn't stick around and pine for him. She got on with yep. her life. I have better things to do than wait around for you. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And she did. She just, she, she yep. says as much. She's like, well, well I was going to wait for you. I know what you are. <laughs> I went into that with my eyes wide open. I know exactly what you are. I, yep. <laughs> I didn't want my son to be part of that. So that was I, want him, I want him to be a, uh, I want him to be a preppy douchebag. <laughs> well, he did not, have a sweater tied around his neck. Not oh, womanizing, zooming around the universe, cheating. Yeah, yep, cheating everywhere. He certainly, he certainly isn't that. <laughs> cheating, cheating on women, cheating at war, <laughs> cheating wherever you possibly can. <laughs> oh, and of course, one of the one of the huge moments in here that we actually missed in our in our. Uh, just recent reviewing was uh, Commander Kyle's appearance and his infamously foreshadowed beard. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, he had a mustache in the original series or in the uh, animated series, which uh, that's foreshadowing. Which was foreshadowed weird. his beard here. <laughs> Dude had one line. Like it's not a surprise that we missed it because he was on the Reliant and uh, they said Commander Kyle, what is the status? <laughs> blah blah blah, and that was it. But I figure we needed to pay off that joke because we've been. We've been building to that for several episodes now, so there it is. The payoff. He has a beard. Nice. <laughs> I remember when I saw Wait, this... wait. What, what? How does he have a beard? You can't grow beards in space. Uh, with all due respect, Bob, you're wrong about the beard. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to steal that joke. No, no, no. no. Totally fine. 
Uh, you know, when I saw this in the theater, and I did, I was, I guess I would have been five at the time. My mom took me thinking, oh, this will be a fun time. And uh, the earworm thing happened, the horrible brain slugs. And uh, <sighs> I just, I freaked out. I completely shut down and went to sleep and uh, didn't watch the movie again for like 10 years. Well, they are completely <laughs> fucking horrible. It is. And, yeah. and they managed to keep a PG rating, which admittedly was a little harder back then, but still. Well, they didn't have PG-13. Right. But, you know, there there was... I, yeah, I mean, when I first showed this to my kids, I was like, oh, yeah, the ear thing. Okay, cover your eyes for a second. Well, and your kids are, like, in middle school and high school, respectively, right? Like, your kids aren't little. Well, they are now, but that's not when I first showed it to them. Oh, okay. <laughs> I th- no, I thought, you meant I, mean, the- I thought you meant when you were watching it for this. I mean, no. between this and the dangling predator corpses, Jesus. Yeah, no, there's... Like, years ago. Yeah, exactly. It was, like, the guy's, like, hanging upside down with blood dripping off his face. I was like, oh, shit. I'm there's sorry, a bit kids. of a horror vibe, that. like, <laughs> yeah. at, at those times, which is cool. Like, the, the, the eels are creepy, and the, yeah, the, the hanging, like, you know, meat locker corpses, just mm-hmm. horrifying. Yeah. They do a really The eels were a really cool effect, though. They were, and, and apart from the one bit of CG, which was, um... I, Bob, you know the, the technical end of this, but it is, like, an early landmark in cg apparently oh the um the genesis like promo promo video (laughs) (laughs) they were looking for investors they put this videotape together to uh to send out to potential investors yeah it was a it was pretty early cg as far as movies go but i think it was the first time ever that there was a like particle effects in cg in a movie Mm mm-hmm so just that, that, like, fiery effect that flashes over the planet and all that. So, and that's a yeah. great sequence. From what I understand, it took, like, a, a, the better part of a year to do that, that like, 60-second, you know, little demo thing. But it's, yeah, for the time, I mean, it must have blown people away then. I know when I watched this, in, again, in high school, like, on videotape, it still looked damn impressive. Yep. Yeah. It yeah. was, you know. But, but that apart from that, everything else was practical effects. So you talk about the eels, that's just, like, a little puppet thing with, like, fishing wire. I mean. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it was like a little piece of like foam rubber they dipped in goo and yeah. <laughs> pulled it along with the fishing wire to make it look like it was crawling over their face. There were effects so wise giant Chekhov ear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the giant wonder, Chekhov's giant rubber ear. I wonder where that is. Like they, they built this, you know, Walter Koenig's ear for a for a close up of the the eel kind of you know crawling well, out have- of there. They had it in in one of the um, on one of the next generation DVDs. They had it in one of the bonus features, like showing their their like prop warehouse or something. And oh, it was, really? It was like they up. just kept it in case they needed another ear. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Destroy that? I mean, that's a... no. If I was caning, I would like as part of my contract, I would want to keep that. Yeah, hang it on your wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's and my this ear. Is my ear. <laughs> of course, he talks like that in actual real life. Yeah, of course he does. <laughs> no, but effects-wise, overall, this movie's still damn impressive. Like, Oh, yeah. I think we were all watching one that hasn't been restored, really, in any way. Maybe cleaned up, but not, you know, not spruced up like the like the series has been. And those effects from 82 still look pretty damn impressive. They still, oh, well, yeah. it looks completely gorgeous. Yeah, and there's, I think that we, we agreed that the one, sort of the fakest thing is the, the Genesis cave, and that still doesn't look that bad. It's a, it's a painting, no. obviously, but it's still awfully pretty. It's a mighty fine painting. Yeah. And you yep. get you get some really nice like super close ups of the ship, which means that the models must have been pretty detailed, and uh, mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. a lot of the, a lot of the damage during the fight. I mean, just all of it very pretty, and on a fraction of the budget of uh, of the original. Um, there was there was, there was some debate between me and Bob because I guess different places report different numbers for the budget. Um, what I had read was Wikipedia, which I guess included the cost of the of the series that they abandoned. But yeah, regardless, it's a fraction of the budget. Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere between, you know, a quarter to a third of the the original budget. And, yeah, which I mean, they they did unreal. get to reuse. I mean, they reuse some effect shots of like the ship and stuff. Yeah, and the giant ship the that they movie. built, they get to just use again, which is, I'm sure, a lot of it. Yeah, so that saved them some money. But they apparently, I think ILM took over the effects in this movie. Well, I'm pretty sure they, ILM they did, did things that on a Genesis animation. Well, they they did that, but they did all the all the shoot the new shots of the ships too. Oh, nice. Yeah, like all the Mitara Nebula fighting and stuff. Yeah, yeah, very nice. So apparently that was they were more cost effective than whatever. I can't remember the name of the other company, but <laughs> it's it's still very cool because I mean you're talking '82, which means they weren't even done making the original Star Wars trilogy yet. Like they they probably weren't fully right. up and running as far as contracting out to other you know. Yeah, they were places. just starting to do that. Yeah, so it's cool. Like this might have been one of the first things they did that wasn't you know Star Wars or Indiana Jones. So mm. that's very cool. Hmm. But no, definitely. I mean, like while we're talking about all the writing and the and the, the acting and stuff, we definitely shouldn't um, 
shouldn't short the uh, the actual visuals because there's some pretty no. damn impressive stuff going on here, especially for the money that they spent. The the just the the, the space battle between the Enterprise and Reliance at the end is just. Yeah, and how many times, like, each of us have seen this movie, what, 10, 20 times? Easy, yeah, exactly. Probably more. And we're still, like... <laughs> this... All of us just went dead silent while we're yeah, watching just, that oh, section of it. We watched it right before watching. recording. We're on Skype. And just, yeah, I thought I thought we lost the connection. But no, all of us are literally on the edge of our seats. And we've just all seen this movie in, within a week. <laughs> yeah. And we're still tense. Like, we know what's going right. to happen, but it doesn't matter. Just... Right. The oh, God. It's like the Reliant comes up behind the Enterprise. A lot, a lot, like, 3D is used to a lot better effect than, than it has been in, yeah. in previous Star Trek stuff. So you get a lot of yeah. things over top of each other and then coming up behind and just, oh, man. I mean, that's and, a, I mean that's... it's important to show that just because, like, you know, like that's how they defeat Khan at the end. Is right. He doesn't and, know how to fight in 3D. Yep. Right. I and mean, that was one of my complaints for a long time. And, and they went back to it in, like, TNG as well where it's just like – uh, all the the you know dogfights in space you know take place in this one two D plane and they don't kind of think about it as like you can you know turn your ship around to any orientation you want and you know you mm-hmm. don't have to play <laughs> play right. by those rules anymore so it was nice that they kind of broke out of that here um, and the and the nebula itself looks beautiful too the whole all the cloud tank stuff they did for that it does and it's nice to see a space battle like I like space battles on the stark black but I also like you know a little mixing it up a little from time to time. And like, there was a reason for it. There was a practical in story reason for them to be in this nebula, but the, the result was something that looked pretty and distinct and different than what we've seen before, which was great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, again, it's hard to pick this movie apart. There's just so much great stuff going on. Yep. Right. right. The, uh, Scotty bringing his dead nephew up to the bridge was kind of an odd choice. That was, um, it, it turned out as we were watching this together, uh, Matt and I, I guess, have more recent versions of it, and we had maybe five minutes of extra footage that, uh, that threw off our sink a little bit, but it, it was interesting. I point this out because it, we, that made me way more aware of what I was seeing that was new. Mm. Because as I could hear Bob going out of sync, I realized, oh, well, he's not seeing this scene. This must be new. <laughs> and there was maybe, 60 seconds, if that, of extra footage of uh, Scotty in uh, sickbay talking about his dead nephew that really gave Scotty a little more, I was almost going to say a little more weight, but he did that in his own self. (laughs) A little more depth. (laughs) No, it gave him a little more emotional resonance that he had his nephew there as a cadet and he was so proud of him and now he's dead and oh God, why is this guy coming after us? What is, you know, like, I'm glad they put that scene back in. It It was really... Yeah. It was really touching, and it gave someone else a little emotion to play with and not just her, yeah. you know? Yeah. That was nice. I wish I could have seen it. <laughs> yeah. It was great. <laughs> oh, it was great. You would have loved it. <laughs> yeah. No, most um, of the other stuff they put back in was just little expositional things that weren't really necessary, but that was, mm-hmm. that was nice. That was a, yeah, that was a big moment. It was And, like, Dewan really sells it, too. He does. He's not a bad actor at all. No, and he it's just he doesn't have a whole lot to do. No, you really get the idea when, when he makes that appearance in Next Gen where he's the focus of that entire episode. That you realize he's got some some pretty weighty emotional again weighty emotional <laughs> stuff to play with and uh, and he does he pulls it off. I'm very pleased to be on this new enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord! Mm. Uh, Mexican th- Scotty, you're my new favorite character. <laughs> <laughs> going going back to City Alpha Five for a mm-hmm. second, why did City Alpha Six explode? <laughs> Planets just, just explode, Bob. This happens. It's <laughs> yeah. They're always exploding. That's science. There's a there's a thing that we've all brought up at at some point that is a very valid point, which is okay. Kirk left Khan on a on a planet. Which okay, joking aside, really nobody knew about that. Nobody followed up. Nobody went back. There's no record of it. And then, as you say, this planet explodes. And first of all, why? Second of all, nobody really knew that. Like, if they're going to the system, shouldn't they at the very least realize that there's a discrepancy in the star charts? It's not hard to count planets. They're pretty big. Yeah, it's not hard to look at a map, look out the window, and say, huh, something's... There should be six, there's, and there's only five. There's a giant asteroid field where this planet should be. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone else think that's weird? No? No? All right. All right. Well, let's let's uh, test our experimental new science here, where there's Just nothing the at cap- all strange going on. Just send the captain down to have a look around. Yeah. No, I get the, I get the impression that Terrell was just bored. <laughs> that's why he went down there, but... Um, no, it's, like, it's, do we, I don't want to look anywhere else. Let's just do this one. Yeah, can we, you guys take please be this? Yeah, they've looked at like seventeen other systems. Ugh. Fine. 
No, and they actually have some dialogue to that effect. Like, I, I believe that. But, okay, they'd have no record of Khan being on the next planet over, they think. They have no record mm-hmm. of a planet disappearing. Like, it, it seems unlikely. I understand this all has to happen for the story to work, and this is really the only sort of crack I see in the story. But it, it does, like, a couple of lines of dialogue to clarify that would have gone a long way, I Yeah. Think. Mm. And again, this movie's as close to perfect as Star Trek gets, and we're nitpicking at this point. We, you know, yeah. this is what we do. We're, in, we're analyzing, so we got to we yeah, gotta bring this job. stuff up. Yeah, I mean, this is this is why we show up to do that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a sort of joke, I guess. I don't I don't know how to describe this feeling that I've had since like this is a twenty year joke. That there's a bit of score that sounds like it belongs in Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> We're just there, there's, yeah. There's a there's heavy percussion there, and it sounds like you should be clapping and stomping. <laughs> and it's a great piece, but it's just, every time that's come on over the last twenty years, I just start you know. Yep. I've been a doing starship that captain on time. the roof. Pretty crazy, huh? Yeah. <laughs> and then, um, then of course, and yet in our little alpha quadrant, every one of us. Yeah, see, I don't actually have never seen Fiddler on the Roof. Oh, see, I could go on forever. It just sounds like sort of a of an upbeat Yiddishy kind of you know folk dance thing is all. I don't know. We're just know. trying to say Jewish without sounding racist. <laughs> well, no, because Jewish covers a few, you know like I think more maudlin. If I just said Jewish, I would have to think of something a little more up tempo. Is all. Oh, okay. You know, um, up tempo Jewish. Yeah, exactly. Goddamn up tempo Jewish record. <laughs> goddamn Holocaust dedication. <laughs> All right, that's about enough of that, I think. Um, there, was, there was one thing I know that, that, that I found really interesting that um, Nick Meyer was saying. Uh, he thought of Kirk as a bit of a Sherlock Holmes character in that uh, in the absence of stimulus, he's just absolutely useless. Like, if there's not constant adventure and constant, you know, stuff to do, that he just withers away, and that's... I like that. I like it's, it's a bit of an ADD thing, too. Like, yeah, he needs, he needs stuff going on, or he's just useless. Or cocaine. Mm-hmm. I really like that. around his apartment getting antiques. Yeah, going... <laughs> or cocaine, yes. Yes. <laughs> well, he's allergic to retinox, so, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's allergic to cocaine. Well, theoretically, they're both made of the same stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Obviously. <laughs> no, I, I did... What's that? Oh, I was just going to say, is that screaming children I hear? Oh, yes, I'm afraid it is. <laughs> there's no room in your world of starship captains for a woman, but there's plenty of room outside my window for children. <laughs> <laughs> screaming children. Yes. I think this might actually be the first time, at the very beginning it says in the 23rd century, I think that might be the very first time we pin this to a, a, you know, a time. Yeah. Like, they've always left it very vague, I think on purpose, but now they've finally decided, no, this is 300 years in the future of when it's Mm. being made, which is, you know, pretty cool, I thought. Mm -hmm. It's pretty far away. Yeah. Far enough away, you know. They, once again, they reference the uh, eugenics wars that happened in 1996, which... uh, Mm. The far-off world of 1996. Right. (laughs) Which we all remember. Oh, yeah. Of course. Because it's impossible that things could could go differently in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, no, this is a real world that is going to happen someday, Matt. This is an accounting... I mean, look, we talk regularly to Ensign Sadsack from that future, so it's obviously real. Yes. You know, it's interesting, though, that I think a lot of people view it that way, where it's like... This is kind of this hopeful future for a lot of people that they actually, you know, want to have happen. And well, to, I, I can respect that as far as the vibe goes. We should be working toward that. But yeah. people forget that there's going to be a horrible, like, devastating post-atomic horror where we get the name of the show from. <laughs> there's going to be a World War Three and a terrible, like, rubble-strewn, you know, like, hell for a period before that happens. I don't, I don't yep. want that. Yeah, well, okay, fair <laughs> enough. But it, it does, it is, I mean, it's interesting how as the, the, you know, the movies and the series go on, more and more stuff uh, of, you know, current technology gets integrated into that and current history gets integrated into it. And so it's it's not just its own separate universe. They do, you know, right, but I think use I th- parts of the real world in, in it as well. I think they're in a unique situation because science fiction often speculates what's going to happen in the future. And Star Trek uh, just this week actually celebrated its 45th anniversary, so happy birthday, Star Trek. But um, but they're in a unique position in that it's one continuous science fiction story that's been going on for almost half a century. And they do have to keep readjusting, whereas most science fiction, I mean, there's some book mm-hmm. series. But for the most part, most science fiction doesn't it doesn't exist over that period of time. So they don't have to keep sort of course correcting to make it 
seem like a valid, you know, vision yeah. of the future. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're not going back to the, you know, really early, uh, you know, Robert Heinlein stories and, and trying to retcon how giant uh, people movers <laughs> as right. a means of transportation, mass transportation is a good idea. But if he were still <laughs> writing stories now, he would have to, you know, have to correct for that. So I think Star Trek is in a unique situation where, you know, one one story has been told over, you know, almost half a century. So you, you do have to keep doing that. Yeah. I don't think there's a lot more like that, which is which is kind of cool. That's one of the things that makes it unique, I think, yeah. mm-hmm. that we still buy it more or less as a as a representation of our future, even though it's it's been around forever. But I don't know. I I I've read in other places, like you know, we all do a little bit of homework for the show and reading Memory Alpha and Wikipedia and a few other things. You realize that this is sort of held up as this movie is held up as bringing Star Trek, like basically creating the Star Trek that we're familiar with now, like. The motion picture did it visually, but this really thematically, I think, showed people that Star Trek could be about more adult stuff, more relatable human stuff. Right. Like, I think this sort of laid the groundwork for a lot of the stuff they did in Next Gen, even in the later movies. Just This was a, a huge milestone in the development of Star Trek, I think. It's interesting going, you know, having recently gone back and, and watching, you know, along with you guys, the original series again. And yeah, I, I kind of had it in the back of my mind. It's like, well, you know, this all of these themes and the and the use of, uh, you know, great literature of the past is, you know, quoting that a lot and all of this kind of stuff that is, I think started here. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of had a sense in the back of my head that this has always been part of Star Trek. And you go back to the original 60s stuff and no, it really wasn't. But. <laughs> there, there's pieces of it here and there. But like we were saying, I think, I think Nick Meyer really took all the threads that worked yeah. And he didn't completely reinvent it. He just sort of took the best of it and built on that. Yeah. And he ignored a lot of stuff that wasn't working and didn't destroy it, didn't contradict it, but just said, no, we don't need that. Let's just let's yeah. just go forward in this direction. And I think that's a lot of what Abrams did right, too, is, is he took Absolutely. a lot of what made it great and, and built on that. Mm-hmm. And there's actually a lot of similarities between that movie and this. Like there's a lot of echoes of specifically of Wrath of Khan in the uh, in the Abrams Star Trek movie. Oh sure. Hmm. There's, I mean, there's the literal Kobayashi Maru thing, but there's a lot of the subtle like the Kirk and Spock relationship is very similar. You can see how they kind of had Wrath of Khan as the end point of their relationship in mind, and they were building backwards from that. Right. Like here's the beginning. We're building toward the friendship that we see in Wrath of Khan, specifically Wrath of Khan. I think, mm-hmm. which is I think very cool. And, but and it, again, but even ahead. even on top of that, there's like kind of uh, the the vengeance aspect of the I can't remember the Romulan character's name in, in Nero. Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. but the, yeah, yeah, <laughs> but his you know the vengeance factor from that, his dead wife, the uh, the you know coming up to he's like obsessed with killing you know or or stranding Spock. You know when Spock doesn't even know who the hell he was in the first place. Yep. And right. You know. <laughs> no, you're you're definitely right. Yeah. <laughs> and I do that. That does bring up a good point that uh, someone involved with the production, I don't remember who offhand, pointed out is that Khan thought about Kirk every day, and Kirk never thought of Khan once. Mm-hmm. That's just so perfectly, you know, Kirk. Yep. No, I just charged off to the next adventure. I don't think about this. But... Who is it? Who is this? Yeah. Again, the the consequences of his actions, like something actually came back and bit him. He couldn't just ride off into the sunset. He's got to, mm-hmm. you know, got to revisit some of that. I gotta find a planet to dump you on again. God damn it. <laughs> Further away this time. City Alpha 12, maybe. <laughs> um, I, I think we need to spend a little time talking about Savick. Yep. Mm. Just because, on the one hand, young Kirstie Alley, quite attractive, and, and takes and well yeah, and takes well to the Vulcan makeup, I think. like She's got those features that work really well with the upswept eyebrows and the pointy ears and so forth. But Sure. But I also think her acting was pretty good, too. Um... I don't know that it was ever canon, but Savick was supposed to be part Romulan, apparently, like half Vulcan, half Romulan. And, oh, really? Yeah, they never say yeah. that on the on on screen, so I don't know if it, it's official. But huh. in comic, originally, that's yeah, yeah, in in early drafts, and then I think it popped up in like comics and books and stuff. Yeah, um, and I don't think it really matters here, except that she's prone to being a little emotional from time to time. Yep, and I think that would help explain that if you want to get into the whole well, Vulcans, you know, a Vulcan wouldn't cry at Spock's funeral. Well, well she's not a very good Vulcan. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I thought, I thought one, she was meant to sort of contrast Spock to show mm-hmm. here's a young Vulcan 
someone who's on their way up and Spock's maybe going to retire soon or, you know, die. And, yeah. uh, but on the other hand, it's also, you know, a young pretty lady to, to <laughs> sort of perplex Kirk. Like, eh, I, it's probably inappropriate for me to be hitting on her, huh? <laughs> and there's a little of that too. I don't know. I just, I thought she was and he doesn't addition. want He doesn't want her driving a starship. Yeah. No, he looks incredibly <laughs> nervous. There's a great little exchange when they want her to I, pilot I'm her. sorry. You're, I'm sorry, you're putting a woman where? <laughs> I actually think it's to their credit that they didn't make a big deal out of that. Yeah. <laughs> Considering. I think it was more that they put a kid up there. Yeah. Yep. But there's a, no, there is a great exchange between him and Bones. On the bridge when there's like, uh, you know, Spock makes her pilot out of space talk and Bones is like, you want a tranquilizer? <laughs> Shatter just does this <laughs> weird head shake thing where he actually looks nervous. And, <laughs> I think that's what sold a lot of the comedy and drama for us, is this is the first time we saw Shatner really selling a lot of stuff, and mm. it's sort of new to us. Like, yeah. hey, wow, yeah, there's a human in there somewhere. Or a human, I guess. <laughs> human. But no, I thought, I thought Savick was a good addition to the crew. I thought she, she clicked well with them. I think, unfortunately, it forced people like Uhura and Sulu more to the background than ever. But mm. yeah. on the other hand, I... I it didn't feel like she was out of place like it did with Decker and Ilea. It felt like she belonged there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, the ship full of uh, cadets, I thought, was great, too. Yeah, and I mean, like, they really sold it, too. Like, you'll often see them when stuff goes bad. You'll see cadets flat-out panicking in the background. Yeah. they. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're trying to do their duty. They're trying to go through the motions of what they've been taught. But they're they're clearly not ready for this. No. And there's just shots of like guys with their hands in their with their uh, head in their hands, just go, God. Yeah, yeah. I've only, I mean, I took the Kobayashi Maru, and that was that was pretty brutal for a simulator. But you know, that was a simulator. I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> I then walked out the door, marked exit, and uh... <laughs> <laughs> asked the no smoking sign. Yeah. <laughs> and went back to my uh, my dorm. No, that was. I mean. It was great. It was. It's. A, it's a nice. That was again a nice counterpoint of Kirk having to deal with his ship being full of children on their way up. It was a nice n- another reminder that he's getting old and you know mm-hmm. this really isn't his game anymore. Which I, I really liked. Yeah. Yep. Other other thoughts, gentlemen. We should probably talk about Spock dying. I don't think we've touched on that. Uh, well, if you want me to cry again, I suppose we could do yeah, that. Ju- God damn. Well, we'll we'll do that. <laughs> when we get to the quotes. Oh, that too. Um, <laughs> no, I thought it was handled really well. Like like Nick Meyer was saying, he didn't want it to be gratuitous. He wanted it to feel like a natural part of the story, not like I'm killing someone you love, but like a natural part of the story. And it definitely feels like that. It sneaks up on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where be, like, that, that whole third act is paced so well that you're you're on the edge of your seat with that space battle. And then this is happening. And then this is happening. And then, oh my God, what happened to Spock? Like you don't it, get a minute to breathe and think about it. And it's really like... Towards the end, it really looks like the good guys are winning. Yeah. You know, the like the happy music's playing up and yep. Khan's pretty much defeated. And then, oh, fuck. Yeah. No, there's a there's a great, again, one of these very subtle moments that I like that you don't really catch the first time you watch it. You, you know, it's after watching it several times over the years where um, I, I think it's, it's either Bones or Scotty. I don't remember. I think it's Bones. Calls Kirk while he's on the bridge and says, Jim, you need, I think it's Bones. And he's, yeah. Jim, you need to get down here. And there's a brief moment where... He looks over at Spock's chair and it's empty. It's that weird, like, I don't know, like when you get a phone call that a relative's dead and right before someone tells you that they are, you just know somehow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That that, that, sort that moment of, of realization. Of yeah. Like, oh, yeah. crap. But you don't know it yet. It's that indefinable feeling that you're going to remember forever and that people maybe misinterpret as, as psychic ability or something. But it's just, it's sort of human intuition. Something's wrong. Yeah. Oh, God, how Spock? You know, like, and it's it's a great moment because they don't, they don't put an exclamation point on it. It's just subtle. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of that in here. And and then he runs down there and yeah, it's uh Yeah. <laughs> oh god. It's very touching. No, it is and it's it's been quoted a lot, I'm sure everyone knows, and, and uh Bob, that's your quote, right? Like uh Yep. Okay. Because I <laughs> I both of you guys chose to highlight very famous moments and I, I already had it in my head that if you had if if we hadn't between the three of us, I was going to play them anyway mm-hmm. because they needed to be heard. Oh, should I pick a second one? No, if you, <laughs> if you want, that's fine. But uh, 
but these are these are things people need to hear regardless i think yeah no it's it's a great moment because it's not over the top you get some genuinely touching acting from from nimoy and shatner which is you know again shatner acting well mm-hmm. still hard to deal with but no it's it's like that helplessness that oh god what happened that the whole i like to win no matter what and i'm never going to lose anything blows up in his face again yeah and no, you can't cheat. Sometimes people got to die for the day to be saved. That's just sometimes, how it goes. Sometimes people you don't know have to die, or you do know have to die. <laughs> yeah, at the, at the end he says it's the first time he's ever faced death. No, it's about the 700th time he's had to face death, only now it's someone he likes. Yeah. <laughs> it's the first time he's cared about facing death. Yeah. yeah. The only other time that but, would really get to him is if Bones had died somehow. Then, uh, yeah. Oh, God. I, I, I think he's like kinda... Jimmy Von Redshirt just kicked it. Yeah. yeah. Who cares about that? Yeah. He's, he's kind of like James Bond in that regard, where it's like, you know, like, well, here's this this woman that I've been banging for the last month, and she's great and awesome, and I and I, I feel for her, and oh, oh, she got killed by the bad guy. Oh, well, moving on. Well, where's the next one? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I do think that was sort of a, I don't think it started in the 60s, but it was definitely exemplified in 60s storytelling where the, you know, the, the very testosterone action hero, you know, you know, kisses the girl and punches the bad guy and rides off into the sunset to the next adventure. All and at the an, same time. Yes, exactly. It's very <laughs> difficult to do, but that's why we love these guys because they can do it all at the same time <laughs> while holding a martini. Um. But now it's it's nice to sort of start to, you know, to use a bit of a douchey word here, but really to sort of deconstruct that as, as you move out of, you know, the 60s where everyone's a hero and everything's great. And you realize, no, there's a little more complexity to it. And the hero doesn't always win. And, you know, mm-hmm. like now now we can deal with it on a little more complex level where you can't do that forever, which I think is nice. I think this is the first time that, that again, it's the consequences thing. That really hit me this time is how much this movie is about. Kirk having to having to uh, settle the check for all those things that he did. Yep. Yeah. Which is fantastic, and and it results in you know his closest and dearest friend kicking it in the uh, in the radiation chamber. Yeah, and like you were saying earlier, this is going to go carry on into uh, into Star Trek Three. Yeah, there's some great stuff in Three where the only way he can get Spock back is if he sacrifices everything else. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's no way to cheat out of that either, which is great and. Three really gets, I think, a bad rep for some reason. That whole odd-numbered rule, it just doesn't work for me because no. three very much continues the, the themes in two. And, and while it might not be as good, it's still great. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, think, definitely. I think it's unfortunate that people assume because one and five are bad that, oh, well, odd numbers, that means three is bad too. No. <laughs> yeah, no, not so much. Not no. Really. Two, three, four make a nice little trilogy. Absolutely. And it's definitely telling that, that they package those as a box set and just sell those. Like. Yep. You can watch six if you want, but two, three, four is really where you, what you need to see. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but we'll, we'll get to that next week, obviously. Yes. But there are some things set up here that will pay off there, and I think it's important to point those out now. Um, anything else? I feel like I feel like we could talk about this for hours, but I also feel like I don't want to. I don't want us to ramble. So, I mean, is there any any other sort of main stuff we need to get to? Or um, no, I I think uh, well, I don't know. Khan, Khan takes one of his gloves off in, in the first 10 minutes of the film and leaves the other one on for the entire film. <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm not sure what that's about. <laughs> I was just amused by that. Uh, it's a very sparkly is... kind of Michael Jackson sort of glove. Yeah, it looked... my hand is very cold. In <laughs> <laughs> it looks very natural as part of the suit that you see him in at the beginning, the sort of environmental metal-looking, you know, protection from the elements suit. But yeah, once mm-hmm. once he's not wearing the suit anymore and it's just the glove, it looks just ridiculous. It was, it was a very, very vigilant uh, continuity girl on set. It was like, wait, you never took that off. You have to yep. keep it on. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that's it, too. <laughs> now, I, I also know... Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. It... No, I was going to say, the, the way his, his sort of band of 80s music video renegades were dressed, I thought was a little <laughs> ridiculous. But on the other hand, uh, and I this isn't my observation, I think the, the director actually said this was deliberate, the, the contrast between them in dingy, pieced-together outfits versus the very stylish, very nice-looking, you know, naval uniforms right. is, is a good contrast, which which I can see. But, but, but you have I to think if they're stranded on the planet for 15 years, then eventually their clothes are going to wear out, and they're going to be making clothes out of what they had handy. Yeah, like the you know. upholstery in the in the shuttlecraft and that kind of thing. Yeah. No, yeah. I get that. It's just they look, they look like... 
They their hair be. is a lot more feathered than 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 I would think that their uh, hair care product situation <laughs> might allow for. Yeah, they they clearly landed on on SETI Alpha eighties. <laughs> no, I think I think maybe when Kirk said he was leaving them with supplies and, and rations, they left them with food and uh, hair gel, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and I guess we should. That's something we haven't talked about yet too. Is the um the relationship between this and Space Seed, like the mm. fact that MacGyver's went off with Khan and, and died in, in the meantime and gave him that much more reason to, 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 to loathe Kirk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they talked about wanting to bring MacGyver's back. Yeah. Apparently and... the actress fell on hard times and wasn't doing too good and they didn't want to recast her, which was nice. Yeah. So, and I mean, that just gives, you know, Khan all the more reason to be pissed off. Like it's one thing to dump a guy on a planet, but it's another thing to also kill his wife. Yeah. Which Kirk didn't do, but I could see the logic there. Well, I yeah. mean, that's, you know, that's where Khan's coming from. Yeah. No, absolutely, and and you he seems to be he seems to completely forgotten that he wanted to be left on the planet. Yep. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. There are sort of a, a few inconsistencies. Another one being, I thought most of the guys with him were his equal. Yeah. Like I thought they were all little sort of princes and dictators and such in the during the eugenics wars, and they clearly are his you know subordinates in this. Mm-hmm. And I don't they, know. They seem pretty subordinate in Space Seed as well. They did, but it, I, the impression that I got was. I'm running the show now, but when we, you know, when we conquer whatever, we'll all be set up the way we used to be. And you know what I mean? Like, Mm. whereas here it felt more like, I don't know. And they were also a lot younger. They really were. I think maybe the, the sort of the untold story there is this is mostly the second generation of, you know, of those original guys. Like a lot of those original guys died and these are their kids maybe. Yeah. Uh, But he says these men swore allegiance to me 200 years before you were born. That's true. That's true. Also, they've only been there 15 years and these people are older than 15. So, yeah, unless you had like the like in in addition to being atomic supermen, they were also extremely fast aging. Yeah, no, I don't think that's probably true. So, no, those are meant to be the original guys. So that's a little. Yeah. So they just they all turned white and blonde and. yeah, they're supposed to be from around the world. They should be all different, you know. Maybe, maybe the, the like the abrasion from the uh, sandstorms bleached their skin yeah. somehow. Or... It, 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 it's less princes and kings from around the world than more princes and kings from around California. <laughs> well, and also Khan himself, he was supposed to pass for Indian the first time, and I didn't buy it then. I buy it way less now. Like, he completely lost any trace of an accent that i mean like he, there, there's no mistake that that is a hispanic accent now before he yep. made it a little more generalized like he has some I, kind of an exotic accent but maybe we don't know what it is exactly and i have spent my last 15 years preparing my accent for you <laughs> <laughs> my dialect coach was mexican scotty <laughs> oh, <CC. laughs> but um I, I don't know i mean and and Montalban, while while he is a crazy scenery tour, as you pointed out, Matt, he's it's still somehow he and Shatner both deliver great performances. Mm-hmm. I, but, and, and apparently that's his actual chest. Like he was very proud of his physique and he wanted to show it off if possible. Like I always assumed those were, you know, that was some kind of peck implants or some, you know, <laughs> Nope. <laughs> I notice captain that you yourself do not take off your shirt in this movie. No, not anymore. Be- behold, <laughs> not since season three. I shall. <laughs> But I mean, over. I mean, Montalban was great, but any any illusion of him being an Indian prince is definitely out the window. Yeah, not so much. No. Mm. But but that said, I mean, he is, you know, the sort of quintessential Star Trek villain. I mean, mm-hmm. he's Kirk's equal, superior in some ways. Uh, but you know, he's he, and he and he's got his own legitimate motivations that aren't just ha ha ha, I'm evil. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, he is pretty evil. And I mean, like he's completely like driven by having to kill like uh, towards the the middle sort of end he's got like his ship he's got the genesis device yeah one of his guys even much, says you can do what you yeah, want why don't we just leave we can leave we can leave this douchebag and go fucking start over he's just like no yep yeah that's very much the turning point in his arc where yeah. you realize he's committed to this he will do this till he dies he mm. tasks me what does that mean yeah sir that's not I really appropriate for what i said <laughs> Yeah, he must have found the secret to, to energy drinks while he was down there because he's not fatigued anymore. Well, I mean, he spent 15 years not doing anything. I'm sure he worked all his fatigue out. Plenty, plenty of rest. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or those weird calisthenics that they were doing, like when they were thawed out in the space seat. 
<laughs> More of that. Where are their mesh like uh, fishing net uniforms? By the way. Oh man, I missed those. Yeah, not not great in the desert. No, probably not. Oh. Everyone was getting like one of those weird checkerboard tans. <laughs> probably true. And the sand would get everywhere. Oh yeah, I hate. Sand. I don't like sand. Yeah. It's rough. <laughs> All right. Any anything else or? I think that's everything. I'm sure it's not everything, but it's not. No. But like I say, we could go on for hours, and I did want to. Yep. I, yeah, I I could go on, but I don't want to be sycophantic about it. Yeah, me neither. No, it's a, it's a really good movie, and you should go watch it. it yeah, absolutely. Easily deserving its its reputation as the best Star Trek movie. I yep. I may like Abrams' movie a little more, but that's it's recent, and <gasps> I think it's not fair to to make that you know make that call no. for all time. But for right now, I, uh, no, I understand that view, but like it's a. Rathacon is a finer movie. I think it is a better mm-hmm. movie objectively. I think it's better made, but mm-hmm. I don't know something about something about have, being threatened with not having Star Trek ever again, mm-hmm. and then suddenly having it come back so strong and great makes me appreciate that a little more. Yeah, Be, being being the age that I am, there's always been Star Trek. I never experienced a time where I thought it might go away. It's it's just always <laughs> been there. Whereas you know, it, it must be like those guys felt in the '70s, where oh my god, it's gone away forever. The time without Star Trek. Yeah, it's 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 sad. It was very sad. That time between, you know, before Enterprise aired, because I don't want to acknowledge its existence, and uh, right. <laughs> and the appearance of fake Star Trek, you know. Yeah. No, I know you've been watching Enterprise, Bob, and I know you don't hate it. So. Uh, yeah, it's I don't know. It's a it's not it's not great, but it's I don't know. It's Star Trek. Yeah, it's grown on me. So, no, I, I hear you. And it's if, nice to it's nice to finally be watching something new that I hadn't seen before. No, I I can appreciate that. Yeah, that's sort of where I came in on the on the Star Wars prequels. It's like you know they're not as good as the originals, but there's more of it. So there's that. Mm-hmm. That's something. All don't, right, don't get me started. <laughs> no, I will not. <laughs> Let's instead give our alternate titles for this film. Yes, let's. All right. Matt, what do you got? My title to this was Space Seed 2, A Lost Dream of Flouncing. <laughs> ah, yes. The Flouncy Lieutenant MacGyvers. Which uh, I think maybe only Matt and uh, our voice guy Dave would even get anyway, because we saw the Star Trek in the Park performance of Space yep. Seed, which uh, <laughs> MacGyvers was incredibly flouncy. Yep. <laughs> She practically skipped in and skipped out every time she had a scene. It was it was just fantastic. Do, 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 do. I wish yeah. I could have seen that. Yeah, it was, oh, it was wonderful. It was something to behold. Uh, Bob, you got a title? Um, uh, my title is Star Trek II: MacGyver's Vengeance. <laughs> and I noticed you put Star Trek T O O, as in "Look Who's Talking to." Oh, I was I was thinking more along the lines of Teen Wolf or two, Teen but... Wolf Two. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and mine would be Star Trek II, The Torture of Chekhov. Nice. Because, you know, ah! yeah. I He's could just watch screamer. that on a loop. I, I think I might build a little, like, uh, demo reel of him being shot in the cowboy episode, him getting his arm zapped in the motion picture, and then the earworm in this. I... Every time he screams, when he falls off the aircraft carrier in four. Oh, that chase scene that goes on for 20 minutes. God, it just never ends. All right, let's talk about the movie we watched, though. All right. right. Um, Before we get to uh, Matt and Bob's quotes, which, as I uh, hinted at before, are are the the sort of the big epic quotes of the movie, Um, mine was actually not at all. I sort of deliberately went out of my way to pick one that I thought was a little more out of the way, a little more subtle. Um, There's a bit where... It's it becomes sort of a cliche in Next Gen where someone's riding a turbo lift and they stop the elevator and have a conversation. And uh, it happens here. I don't actually know if they stop the elevator, but there's a long, important conversation in the elevator. Um, no, she reaches over and stops the elevator. She does. Okay. Um, and when they started again, yeah, that's right, because then Bones shows up and says this. And the implication is Bones is, I, I'm on to you. Like, you're sleeping with this little, with this cadet. What's wrong with you? <laughs> and here it is. Who's been holding up the damn elevator? Thank you, sir. She changed your hairstyle? I hadn't noticed Wonderful stuff that Romulan Hale. Hmm. So yeah, maybe not the very best quotable line in the movie, but there's something about that I just I really enjoy. It kind of sums up. 
the the whole Kirk is aging, but he's still a dog. Bones is still giving him shit. Like it, it sums that relationship <laughs> up really nicely for me. Hmm. Uh, Bob, what do you got? Um, well, I, there's there's actually one. Well, I, I picked I picked one, but I, I think I'm going to pick another one. The uh, <laughs> because well the the one that I the one that I had originally picked was uh, I just picked because well how could we not pick the uh, um, Spock's uh, death scene here? Yeah, in fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna play that here, but I, I'll I'll go ahead and give you another one. So. Ship out of danger. Yes. Don't grieve, Admiral. Just logical. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Or the one. actually personally like uh, a lot more is just a little bit after that uh, when Kirk and his son are talking and Kirk really realizes uh, for you know after all these years that he really you know he hasn't ever beaten death uh, in, in in any I'm, I'm rambling <laughs> I'm no, no no I understand <laughs> he, what you're saying he, he hasn't ever um, you know really dealt with death before in, in a real way Mm-hmm. Lieutenant Savick was right. You never have faced death. No, not like this. I haven't faced death. I've cheated death. I tricked my way out of death and patted myself on the back for my ingenuity. I know nothing. You knew enough to tell Savick that how he faced death is at least as important as how he faced life. Just words, but good words. That's where ideas begin. Maybe you should listen to them. Well, that's and I know you had said that the, that one kind of gets to you a little emotionally as well because of the whole father son thing. Yeah, and uh, that must be a horrible double whammy for you coming right on the heels of the of the the Spock's death, <laughs> and then that you're just you're just wiping the tears away, and then another one comes and hits you in the gut. No! Like, oh goddamn it! Like, oh, I'm so proud of you. Yeah, no emotion. As, as far as yeah, I don't I don't want I don't know if I want to use the word manipulation, but as far as emotional, like telling you what to feel, I don't know what other word there is there. As far as far as manipulating the emotions of the audience in a good way this movie is particularly masterful because you feel good and then you feel bad and then you feel you know tense and it 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 structures that roller coaster ride in a a very pleasing way that not a lot of movies manage to do yeah uh anyway matt you got uh i went with uh kirk on the genesis planet talking to khan they just play off each other so well there's the lines just are awesome, and then it ends with the sort of you know the well-known con. Yeah, and and what's actually what's weird is as you were saying, the, that's not actually even close to the best part of that scene. Not even close, <laughs> no. Con bloodsucker, you're gonna have to do your own dirty work now. Do you hear me? Do you? Kirk, Kirk, you're still alive. 
still old friend. You managed to kill just about everyone else, but like a poor marksman, you keep missing the target. Perhaps I no longer need to try. Oh no, the choice can't take it. Khan. you've got Genesis. But you don't have me. You are going to kill me, Khan. You're going to have to come down here. You're going to have to come down here. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her. My room for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive. Come! It's that whole exchange building up to that, that whole... And and what's interesting is those guys never once see each other. Like, apparently their scenes were shot four months apart, and yeah, uh, there's such great intensity between them, but... Yeah, you could never tell that these guys didn't didn't work together. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, I mm. always figured Montalban must be standing behind the camera there giving Kirk, you know, Shatner something yeah. to work off of, but nope. No. <laughs> he was long gone by that point. Yep. He was already off trying to revive uh, Fantasy Island or something. Fantasy Island. Shooting uh, the naked gun with uh, Leslie Nielsen. Mm-hmm. All right, so that is it. Once again, I think if you haven't walked away from this with the feeling that this is an awesome movie, then we completely haven't done our jobs. Yep. But uh, <laughs> trust us, it is. Um, and that is all. Next week we will be doing Star Trek Three with uh, with Gav with Irish Gav. So look forward to that, uh, Bob. Always yes. a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Take us out with your catchphrase. Hey, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2011. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun. <laughs>